As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Everybody, warmest welcome to the Rut, the Times and Sunday Times podcast. We love you all out there. We hope you're doing well, uh, or as well as can be expected. Thank you for staying with us in such amazing numbers during the lockdown. And the first thing to say today is that we know, obviously, there are bigger issues in this world, and um, horrendously, people, the people lost the coronavirus in the UK, uh, now amount to over ten thousand, which is absolutely salutary. Uh, today, we are one-on-one with none other than Damien Hopley, Chief Executive of the Rugby Players Association. Uh, Hoppers has 800 current players, men and women, 400 past players. Uh, it's become a very, very significant organisation in the game, maybe the most significant. Hoppers, the first thing, our spies say that yesterday you crossed a major Rubicon. <laughs> The threshold, I, I had a big figure change, Jonesy, and that's not about my waist. I turned 50, and uh, so if you could speak softly today, that would be very helpful. I see. So even in lockdown, you still found a way to celebrate? Well, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Virtual drinking on Zoom, and uh, a lot of old <laughs> legends were raising a glass to me on a, on a brilliant WhatsApp that uh, the irrepressible Peter Scrivener has set up. So people from all over the world, Craig Dowd, Mike Friday, Lawrence, obviously, and various others. So it was a very uh, a special day, and uh, I've really uh, felt the love coming from all around the world. So really... Oh, brilliant. Happy. Excellent. Just for the younger people out there, Damien was a fantastic player for Wasps and England. I think it was three caps. But I was once with some uh, younger colleagues of, of uh, Damien in an RPA office, and when I said what a great player he was, they all started giggling. That was because they never watched him play. But sparing his blushes, Damien Hopley was a fierce centre, very difficult to stop, could easily have won more than more than three caps. But Damien, almost like presaging what was to come in the future, you had to retire at 26 uh, due to injury. And you had this sort of awkward transition, which you were then going to encounter again in so many of your members. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was heartbreaking, to put it mildly, because suddenly... Uh, you're on this trajectory to sort of play club and international rugby. I was very lucky to have a great club at Wasps and, um, you know, Will Carling and Jeremy Guscott were sort of the two incumbents and obviously fantastic players in their own right. So it was a bit of a waiting game. And then as soon as the game went professional and those two looked like they were going to be stepping aside, I basically banjoed my knee, captain the sevens team in Hong Kong. And uh, eight operations later, the... Uh, the surgeons couldn't be couldn't put me back together again. So um, so that was that, and it was a very difficult time. I have to say, Jonesy, because my life sort of stopped, and I, I've likened it to a bereavement in many ways. And I now look at it in terms of helping other players who go through that uh, very difficult physical and mental trauma. And here we are, twenty years on, and 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 making a big difference in the game. Absolutely, uh, but do you also feel that in in at the moment? Um, 
with the country suffering that I don't want to be big up rugby too much, but rugby does play a part in teams in at times like this. I mean, the social media is packed full of people that we know or rugby people contributing in some ways and in, in all areas of the of the game. And you think that Mark Jennings, formerly a sale, who you've done so much work with, great work with, um, is doing uh, is doing an indoor marathon for four consecutive days. And like Andrew Cotter, the, 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 the brilliant commentator, has become a global sensation by commentating on his two dogs. So there's something about the rugby heartbeat which is helping to see us through at the moment, do you think? Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things we, we lose sight of sometimes, particularly in the, in the professional game, is there are some fantastic characters involved around the clubs. And as you say, they do an awful lot of work locally around uh, development, around charity, uh, looking after their own. So I think this has really brought out a, a fantastic uh, element of the game that those of us who are involved in it know exists, but uh, even the WASP players started the whole Make That Call programme, which is now going across the Premiership, and just to see current players reaching out to fans, talking to them, uh, picking up the phone to them, I think it's been a fantastic uh, effort and uh, something we should rightly be proud of. The, the world is struggling to get to grips with the horrible virus at the moment, but uh, it, it's caused a massive hiatus in sport. And I just wondered, Hoppers, if you feel like an Aunt Sally at the moment, it's your job to provide your members, your 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 professional players, with the best remuneration package you possibly can for all the all the work they put in. But then you have to talk to the rugby authorities in your capacity as chief executive about replaying tons of postponed games. No one that I can see wants to do anything other than play all their postponed games, which I think is is slightly cavalier. But then you have to be mindful uh, above everything else of the welfare of your of your players and 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 that the people who bail out rugby by playing all these games will be your members so is this your your toughest time in charge of of the union because i mean it's be, it must be like being pulled apart by horses the word unprecedented is being used left right and center and and, and rightly so and, and as you said at the outset Jonesy, that there, there are people losing their lives and there's some catastrophic issues going on so that puts a lot into perspective. Um, but we've had a, an extraordinary three weeks as a sport trying to come to terms with the financial freefall that the world is in, and everyone recognises that. We've all become experts in furloughing in the space of about yes. two weeks um, and trying to understand how that impacts. But the, I guess the most important thing from our perspective is always marrying up the playing and commercial challenges. And certainly I saw Ben Youngs come out this week talking about playing midweek rugby and, and what that does. And apart from the Lions and World Cups, we don't really see a lot of midweek rugby. So there's such conjecture at the moment where there's a dearth of information or certainty. It's very, very difficult to sort of crystal ball where this will all end up. But clearly, you know, clubs don't want to ruin their players. Players want to feel like they're playing in the right framework in terms of number of games but there is a commercial issue that um i think is is incredibly challenging and one of the issues i guess we've been dealing with in that uh, short space of time since the pay cuts were announced around players taking a very mature and reasonable view saying yeah it's not particularly pleasant to to take a 25 cent pay cut but actually if it means the club survives and can in, endure beyond this current uh, pandemic then that's the right decision so we've said we've had some you know as you imagine it's, it's quite a heated environment but it's trying to I guess find the right balance between 
long-term survival of the sport and making sure that the players aren't playing daily games or whatever will look like when it comes back. But certainly trying to just get as much information as possible, educate the players, working closely with the clubs and the RFU to try and sort of navigate our way through this difficult time. I completely understand that. But, you know, I was just ringing around loads of people last weekend for a piece I did yesterday, and I cannot find anyone, not one person, who wants to wants to call off one game. And this is, this is what is worrying me, because, you know, when you hear people say, well, we're going to have five international more Christmas, five after... But, but for instance, um, uh, I'm sure he wasn't trying to be um, confrontational, but, but Bill Sweeney announced that there, there could be a, the Japanese tour in October, um, which is exactly when um, the Heineken Cup want to play their, their, their big game. So um, something surely has got to give here. And, and as I say, you're kind of the man in the middle trying to, trying to balance it all out. Yeah. And, and, and listen, I think this is the, the challenge because you've obviously got the, the international game, which funds a lot of the game, not only England, but globally. So it's trying to find the right balance between developing and growing the club game and showing that the international game is still thriving. Um, certainly, it looks like the Japan tour won't happen in the summer. So therefore, uh, you know, if we're back playing, and there are all sorts of sort of physiological issues as well. I heard you talking to Mark Evans and the guys about it last week, but when can the players get back into the gym to start preparing themselves for mm. because of the return of the season? So there, there are a number of plates spinning currently based on timing. Uh, you know, would you play throughout the summer uh, based on time off now, getting the players back in the gym? But I, I think common sense has to prevail with all of this. And one thing we, we often get, we often talk about is, you know, no club wants to run their players into the ground given the value they represent. So it, it is about trying to find the right balance. But uh, as you say, the welfare you know, there's a lot of talk about it, but it's always that great thing. Air welfare is the number one priority. I'm not convinced it always is, if I'm honest with you. Um, but it is trying mm. to find that balance. And it's around squad sizes. There's all sorts of issues around contractual issues. You know, we read Johnny Mays going back to Gloucester, where he'll get a fantastic reception, I'm sure, at King's Home. But if the season is moving into July, you know, does that mean he moves to play for Gloucester instead of Tigers? Also, there's, there's so many different things that are really starting yes. to fall up now on the back of this pandemic. It's your job to be open to everyone, um, all all sections of the game. People keep mentioning the word player welfare. Say, for instance, one of the national unions says this is uh, this is our policy, this is our stuff for this season. We're going to have this game, that game, that game, and of course, our priority is player welfare. Have, have those words become devalued by repetition? Because they certainly haven't been upheld by anyone doing anything about it. Yeah, it's it's sort of it's the repeat to fade effect, isn't it? And I and I think with what we're finding now, encouragingly, is players are becoming increasingly aware of their voice, which is the most important asset they have as a group, but also their own welfare and and, and looking at the um, number of games, the, the psychological, physical, mental toll placed upon them. And and I I think there's a much more enlightened conversation happening in this space now because players are much more aware of. You know, what they can and can't do, uh, the demands being made on them. But, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes player welfare is, well, let's play another international and raise some more money for the game. I'm not quite sure that stacks up, if I'm honest with you. But I, I also think there are opportunities on the back of all of this to probably relook at how we do things in rugby and, and you know, the court in the pint pot argument that we've had yes. for a long time in terms of length of season, number of games, all these sorts of things, and, and actually have some really informed medical uh, sports science 
what, you know, welfare recovery, all these sorts of things. Let's have those discussions uh, and, and, and try and find a way forward. Do the players feel a little bit bruised at the moment? I remember when, um, just about a week ago, when the issue of, of, of salary cuts, and et cetera, came up in football. And, of course, so people suddenly started to think, saying to the, to the footballers, for God's sake, you're on whatever it is, 500,000 a week. Why don't you take a 20% cut and all that sort of thing? But w- without actually saying the same to bankers and, and uh, you know, big businessmen and journalists or, or, or anything, do you think that players have been slightly caught in the, uh, and your members have well, been slightly caught in the crossfire here? Because they're not exactly... Not all rugby players are on half a million a season. In fact, hardly no. any. Um, yeah, they've been sort of almost hung up to dry. I think I think sportsmen, particularly the, the footballers, became very easy targets in all of this at a time when there was a lot of uh, finger pointing. I, I think what's really important to point out is you know, players are accepting of a twenty five percent wage cut. It's not a deferral. It's not a um, you know, we'll, we'll get this back at some point. Um, it's yes. actually about, and, and it is about the survival and, and longevity of their employers and their clubs. But I also think that, you know, the average salary in Premier League football is £260,000 a week. And the average annual salary yeah. in rugby is about £140,000, £150,000 a year. Um, yes. so, so it's not like for like. Um, but I, I do think, not speaking for footballers, but I just sort of feel that, they became quite an easy target in all of this. But I, I think with rugby, you know, again, whilst the, the start around this whole wage cut could have been handled slightly differently, we felt what you've got now is we've been on calls for the last three weeks, um, talking with the league, talking with the players. And, and the general consensus is, and, you know, a number of players recognise that they have to do this in terms of trying to keep the club, clubs afloat. There are challenges, yes. I guess, around this, Jonesy, with, you know, what I'd call the bookends, so the younger academy players who would not be on a lot of money and they're getting a 25% wage cut, or at the yeah. other end of the scale, the guys who are retiring, probably with no chance of getting picked up, because not many clubs are recruiting at the moment, or, or, or they're coming off contract. So there, there are some individual challenges around that, again, that we're just trying to um, explore with the league what, what we can do. And, you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult situation around those players um, coming off contract because, um, you know, the world, the employment market has is, is, is sort of crumbled, really. Sure, sure. When you started out and the RPA, or then it was called the, the PRA, was formed and developed, um, no doubt you had some really, really tough times. Um, you know, the unions weren't used to negotiating with the union a players union, et cetera, et cetera. But did you ever dream when you started, Damien, that you'd be working so hard, not just for the, the, the welfare of your members, but, but, but to battle depression and, and even suicide thoughts and the pains of transition, et cetera, because that has now become, in the RPA, a massive part of your activities. Yeah, the mental health play is very interesting. I, I guess all I have to draw on is my own experience, as I talked about at the beginning. You know, I did liken my injury to a bereavement. Everything was heading in, in, in a certain direction. Suddenly, your life stops and, and you stop yeah. being that person you are. So whether it's your self-esteem, your, your own physical mental health. Um, as I said, I, I had a number of surgeries. Uh, I had my 10th one just in September last year on my knee. And, you know, from that perspective, it, it's it's just very difficult to try and 
compartmentalize all the things that are going on. And, and I think what we've seen over that time is I've always sort of maintained this that from a mental health perspective, obviously the pressure on players is growing season on season. Um, and, and it's just becoming harder and harder and, and, and the fear of failure and uh, all the other, I guess, um, pressures around become very difficult. So when we lift, we, we launched our Lift the Weight mental health campaign about three years ago, and Jonesy, you were very supportive of it, and, and it's sort of really grown from there. So we have a 24-hour fully confidential counselling service funded through our charity Restart, uh, which does um, that and an awful lot more. Uh, I'll come on to that later, but certainly around the, the mental health piece, just having uh, the opportunity for players to talk to individuals on a confidential basis makes it a, a, a huge service uh, and we're seeing a steady growth and what we're actually definitely seeing around this time is probably more demand for that as players yeah. futures are being tested and, and and they just don't know what that will look like uh, one of the things I was going to ask you was that you know around the time lift the weight and lift the weight number two and and then moving on to restart rugby to to, to raise funds um, you know the, the helpline was sort of well not ringing off the hook but but I've got an incredible number of calls and so are you saying that you detect that the players at, at this time are actually more anxious than ever? I think so because I think there's such uncertainty and if you look at any professional sports career you know. The certainty you have is your contract, and that's for a fixed term, one, two, three, four, five years, whatever it is. And suddenly, if either you're coming off that at the end of, 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 a, of a period around the pandemic or, or just generally, if there's uncertainty around your future, I think that's what really st can stimulate anxiety amongst the players. So whether it's injury, it could be, it could be personal relationships at home. Um, there's all these sorts of things that just feed into the players' overall mental health and well-being. So... The more we can do, I guess, to prophylactically uh, get the players talking about their own situations, um, mm. sharing as much as they can in, in what has always been a pretty sort of alpha environment, I think can only sure. be good to stimulate that conversation and, and, and get that going. And then obviously having the professional backup uh, of the uh, confidential helpline and, and then the additional services that we offer in that space as well um, means that the players are, are well looked after. I guess people who are slightly new to rugby may be listening would say, look, why are you saying this at the time of coronavirus? But actually, you know, in terms of uh, of rugby and sport, you know, the, the game's lost uh, Dan Vickerman to, to, to suicide. And, yeah, you know, you, I, you, you were kind enough to, to put me in touch with Mark Jennings, who had a horrendous uh, life and experience, and you managed to bring him back from the brink, etc. So we are talking very, very serious problems in the, in the, in the normal walk of life here aren't we yeah you know one in four people Jonesy suffer for mental health issues and in all the discussions we've had around restart and getting more funding and fundraising into our charity it's been about how much work we can do in the mental health sector and uh, certainly I guess the concern is that if players aren't talking about these things or, or sharing or finding the right safe environment to discuss it um, it can have some uh, you know horrendous uh, impacts and effects and as you mentioned there, you know, a, a handful of players who have taken their own lives and, and that, you know, has a massive knock-on effect in terms of their families, the clubs, all this sorts of things. So it's, it's really a duty of care on behalf of the Players Association. But the game is, as, as a whole, and at the moment, concussion is our number one injury in rugby. And I've no doubt that mental health will surpass that. And it's a hidden illness and we've 
seen the likes of John Kerwin bravely stepping up and talking about it. And I've had a number sure. of conversations with players over the years. You talk very openly about the, the sort of journey they've been on and the, and the challenges they've experienced, myself included. And uh, it's just incredibly important to share that and, and make sure that uh, it's front and centre when we're trying to look after the athletes. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. This is sort of widest thing here that worries me a bit. Should we be looking at each other, everyone in the pro game, uh, and everyone who's ever been involved in it, thinking, hang on, where did rugby go wrong here? Because surely, even in the professional era, at a time of high pressure, should we not have kept a little bit more balance in the game than we have? And I think that's where the opportunity may well, you know, from a, from a very catastrophic and unfortunate situation that we're all in at the moment, I think that's where the opportunity may arise here for people to actually just take a breath, survey the landscape and say, well, where do we need to be in five, ten years' time? There's obviously been a significant financial uh, investment from CVC, the private equity group. So I guess, it's, what is it, the definition of madness, doing the same things time and time again and expecting a different outcome. So I think it is the opportunity now to look at um, how we can probably structure things better. And that, for me, starts around the playing structure, the, the f- commercial and financial viability of the sports. And then one of our mantras at work is we want England to be the best place to play rugby in the world. And that's not necessarily about how much you get paid. It's about how much support you get off the pitch. It's about yes. you looked after. So we have our gain line program, which is all about development helping players look at uh, interests away from rugby and pursuing those, not to the detriment of their rugby. It's really important. We've got a fantastic team headed up by Ben McGregor. And it's all Mm. about how can we help players with that transition? Because it's going to happen at some point, whether that's injury, loss of contract, or at the end of a glorious career. Like something something like Simon Shaw, who had sort of 19, 20 plus years playing top flight rugby. Um, But those are few and far between now. So how do we help those players move in so it's not just always about the playing environment it's actually about the entire piece and trying to get the players to invest time in themselves so that when that fateful day comes that they have to hang up the boots they're sort of prepared for the next 30 years there's a, there's a wonderful quote by a former nba all-star player he's that sports the only career that when you retire you have to get a job and uh, <laughs> and, and there are only so many coaching and media jobs and they're normally taken by uh, the, the stars of the international setup. So it's just really important that as a sport, the focus is absolutely 100% on rugby. But we talked about at the outset the fact that there's a lot, there's some great characters in the game, and we need to try and help those people so that when they do finish, they can move on and, and find success in sure. other careers. The debate you're talking about um, <clears throat> what you can do, uh, what, what the game can do for for players after retirement, etc. There are so many conversations to, to have. Are you convinced, Damien, that um, your your um, platform is, is strong enough? In other words, will you be in every room where these conversations take place? Because if you're not, they may as well not have them. 
That's a great point. And um, I think one of the things we've battled to do over the years is to get ourselves in, in the room, sometimes with a crowbar. Remarkable how quickly you're invited in when, when the player's view is needed and they're not invited in when it's not. So, uh, But we've had some pr- really uh, positive, progressive conversations with the league about return to play, return to training, all the things that are, that are up in the air at the moment. And certainly with the RFU and the likes of Bill Sweeney, Conor O'Shea, uh, now back in the fold. It's a good environment to start talking about bigger issues that are player-related, to try and address you know, welfare, rest and recovery, mental health, all the things that are part and parcel of, a, of the everyday sort of rugby player's career. So, yeah, we have to be in those rooms. It's as simple as that. And uh, fortunately, there's enough enlightenment around the table, and that wasn't always the case. And I'm sure you could probably name a few people in that uh, uh, rather Luddite capacity. Uh, I could name a few hundred, actually, if you want to. <laughs> who wouldn't want the players involved? So um, that, that's a, that's the encouraging thing now, is that. But know, again, I, I I know that, for instance, World Rugby has got a, a, a huge galaxy of business to to do in all sorts of areas and the global game and all that. But I'm just amazed when I was talking to. Um, PRL and uh, and the uh, Heineken um, and um, EPCR this weekend that you know they're not actually guaranteed to be in to be in these rooms now if the three professional leagues in in England uh, sorry in uh, in Europe uh, are not in the room with the, with the players every room where professional rugby is being discussed well surely someone is falling flat on their face and world rugby have become a secret rather than a kind of governing body. I couldn't agree more and I think it's just highly inefficient to not have all the stakeholders involved and engaged and not have a sort of Chinese whispers which has been uh, how things have worked out. There's, there's definitely um, with world rugby now, there's, we, we're part of the international rugby players just headed up, head up by Omar Hassanine in Dublin and that's the sort of collective of all the player associations sure. throughout the world and there's a good dialogue starting to rebuild at World Rugby. But for me, it just seems madness. It's been a bit cloak and dagger at times, hasn't it? And not getting everyone around the table just seems to be highly inefficient. Um, and, you know, whether that's clubs, provinces, players, unions, but, but actually let's have those discussions out in the open rather than sort of clandestine. And, um, but certainly I think that the, the bigger picture here, Jones, is how can you walk away with everyone conceding something but actually getting something that they want and and yes i think i think those conversations if they're not happening now they certainly will start happening based on the fact that that the game is on the brink in many ways and and yeah we've had a number of conversations about survival of clubs we're obviously looking at australia we're looking at us rugby and chapter 11 filing there So, so you know these are huge issues facing the overall global game so therefore, I just believe that we should all be in the same room having sure. those discussions uh, sure. in a constructive manner. As a union, parts of your income come from the very rugby authorities that you have to you have to speak to, you have to negotiate with. Is that tough? And and wouldn't it be better that if we could, the game could find some sort of independent funding, maybe direct from Rugby World Cup or something like that? Because you're always sitting down almost next to your paymaster, which must be really difficult. Yeah, it's an interesting one. This So all of our trade union activity in the classic sense is funded by our player subscriptions. We have a number of commercial partners. So to sort of think that we're compromised in any way, and if you'd ask the the hundreds, thousands of players we've helped over the years in terms of employment issues at their clubs, 
you know, we have made England the best paid players in the world since 2004 when we took over uh, representing them. So to think that we go in there, accept the first offer the RFU give us and then give them a big hug and have a gin and tonic is, uh, is madness. So the, the, the challenge for us is, and we absolutely want to go in the direction of independent funding. So we want to look at a collective agreement based on trying to, the model in, in New Zealand, Australia uh, and other sports is around having a collective agreement with the league and the RFU, carve out our funding from that um, so it can't be seen to be a conflict. And, uh, you know, we have 20 plus people working at the RPA these days and, and it sort of irks us a wee bit that we're sort of said, oh, you know, you're compromised and, you know, you can, yes. you can never really get what you want because, well, we have to remind some people that it's our players who actually generate over 80% of the RFU's income playing test matches. So, um, yes. you know, you could look at it from all sorts of ways, but we would never find ourselves in a position where we would compromise our integrity based on trying to just do a deal uh, on behalf of the players or the clubs or the RFU. So, you know, we're fiercely proud of what we try and do as an organisation. We've been fronting up for our players since 1998 and we believe we're vital in the game. But certainly through a collective, we believe we can actually then have an independent funding source coming from uh, whatever channel. Um, and that obviously would help in terms of the uh, optics around this. But I, I must reiterate that anyone who thinks we sort of go into those meetings with one hand tied behind our back. Understood. And, and needs a heads examining because, you know, we, we, we're very passionate about what we do as an organisation and, and the players we represent. And we want, as you said at the outset, we want the players to optimise not only their earnings throughout their careers, but also the off-field support they get. And uh, that, that's a huge part of what we do as an organisation. Uh, Damien, one thing we should do is, as well is, um, just before we go, uh, is just talk about uh, women's rugby because you do have a large number of women's um, members now. And if there's one area which keeps helps you keep your faith in rugby and what it was, it must surely be in, in the women's game. And the international team are going like a bomb, so committed, uh, etc. Can, can we can we foresee a time when they will be able to bargain um, hard uh, along with you and the, and their employers uh, to, for, for for a decent salary? I mean, they're now some of them are professional and um, and doing reasonably well. But the way it's going, uh, surely they'll be in a position to to come to the party in terms of uh, negotiations in in some years' time. Well, and I have to say, Jonesy, that the, the, the women in both fifteen sevens are outstanding to work with. They really are fantastic yeah. athletes, very organised, and we do a lot of work around the, the gain line development programme in those setups. And I guess in the last two to three years, we've seen the emergence of full-time contracts. And as you say, I mean, they're fantastic on the field. They're great role models. The crowds are picking up. And I just think the boom in women's sport has been remarkable to, to witness over the last few years, um, certainly cricket, football and, and rugby. I think the challenge going forward now, and obviously there's new teams being put into the Tyrrells, which are aligning with the Premiership clubs, so Sale and Exeter are coming in there. So I think the alignment of uh, the clubs is, is a really important part of the growth of women's sport, but also getting more crowds in and getting uh, the fixtures aligned, uh, put in the diary well in advance, sell out crowds, and increasing the commercial revenues that are coming into the game. because That can only be a good thing. Whilst it won't be at the level of the men in the foreseeable future, there's no reason why the women, given their huge success on the field, 
uh, can't just drive uh, uh, more and more growth and commercial interest in the sport. But I have to say they, they have been uh, a pleasure to work with. Um, they, they uh, and, and, you know, I think they realise um, that they're in a really good position with the RFU. They're, they're one of only a few, a handful of teams globally who are full-time. Um, and the way they've responded to that has been first class. Brilliant answer. Can I just ask you two more things? First of all, just as a clarification, you were saying this earlier, um, what is the um, current situation with the likes of Johnny May and the people and Carl Zinkler, who are now uh, apparently changing clubs almost like before the end of the season? Do you know, has that come to resolution? Well, it hasn't, but my take would be, and the, and the lawyers will be licking their lips, um, my take would be that if, this, if the contract ends on June 30th and the new contract starts July 1, is that the players will move. So you could have a situation whereby Kyle or Johnny could be playing for their new club in this current season. Um, I just yeah. think it would be quite a challenge to unravel some of those contracts. But again, so those are the sorts of details that we're trying to deal with now with the league and, and try and address them so that there's some certainty. And again, I come back to this point around that the contract is the most uh, important piece in all of this. Yes. Trying to get, the, the, get security for the players. So they understand exactly the, the, the terms upon which they're, they're not only playing, but also going forward, what that looks like. Are you optimistic about the challenge ahead in the next? I mean, we don't know when rugby will come back, but when it when we do know when it comes back, then basically you are really caught, not caught, but you really are in the middle of this. And, you know, what the players want should play a huge part. Are you optimistic for those times? And secondly, You've been in the pro game um, almost since it, since it started. Would you be hesitant now if addressing young players uh, and to encourage them whether or not to come into the pro game, knowing what you know about what, what it can do to people? We have a, uh, an academy induction day every year at rugby school uh, where we get all the first-year academy students or players in and we'll get former players back, current players. We'll talk about social media. We'll, we'll sort of say... Congratulations on becoming a professional rugby player. And now here are some of the not so nice things that happen around the yes. sport. It's trying to educate them as best they can. But look, I think, it, you know, what an opportunity to, I think the sport will grow in the next um, five, 10 years. I think this will be, there'll be a correction around the current situation we're in. Uh, but I yes. think rugby will kick on from there. And I, and I have great optimism around that. I, you know, obviously, we, 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 we came second in the, in the Rugby World Cup. Um, Eddie's staying on and that squad isn't really going anywhere so I feel great optimism about, about that but certainly from, a, from, the, from the young people coming into the sport I, I, I just think there's a very very bright future The long jam that you, you, you're going to face when, when the game does come back because you really are you are really caught in the middle there we, Well we are and everyone is and I think we're all trying to make sense in, in a very uncertain world at the moment um, which, is, which is difficult and I think Again, it's just by clear dialogue around players, clubs, unions, that we're actually, I think we will see a strong return for rugby. But we know there's a lot of questions that need answering. But those, I think those are the big challenges in the short term, is to make sure the clubs can all uh, survive this, this period. Because I think it's, it's going to, it's depending on when the game comes back, I, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult time for everyone. You may look fifty now. You could look sixty in a year in a year or two. <laughs> I look about sixty after yesterday's online uh, online. Damien Hopley of the RPA. Thank you very much.
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. <laughs>